why isn't SBF in jail already? Right. Like, what the hell's going on? What's happening? Is anything happening? Is anyone doing anything about this? And I think this is um, a topical issue, uh, of course, because um, crypto is really having sort of some introspection in itself and, and asking itself, like, why? Why do scammers keep invading this space? And why do we keep falling for it? How, why, how does this keep happening every time? Um, David, I've been kind of a little bit relaxing over uh, yeah. Thanksgiving, so not quite as tuned in. But I know you've been hard at work preparing this agenda. So it's kind of like, uh, I want to throw it over to you, man, and just get me up to speed. But I, the basic question is the same question I think in a, bot, a lot of bankless listeners' mind is like, what is SBF still doing is anyone going to bring some accountability to this situation? What does this look like? Yeah, it was really the uh, video that surfaced that somebody took of SBF in the Bahamas, like running around in his like backpack in a cargo shorts. And like, it was something like 12, 13, 14 days. BitBoy went to the Bahamas, right? I saw, I think that I saw wasn't, that wasn't BitBoy that recorded that video, but BitBoy, oh, BitBoy is now in the Bahamas. Oh, uh, God. But like, we, we saw this video of SBF just like running around in the Bahamas, like, all right, like, why and why is he not in jail why so like we know he did a bunch of illegal things we're gonna go through all of the illegal things that he did but there's this big question is like why isn't anyone outside of crypto taking this seriously well people in the chat david right now are saying uh, jail isn't for rich people right and this is common sentiment is this part of the story here it's just like have we grown that cynical rich people just don't go to jail and he's rich so he's not going to jail uh, I think that definitely plays a very significant role in this. But it's not just like, oh, if rich, then no jail. There's more to that story, which is a part of the story that we're going to tell here today. Are you going to talk a little bit about mainstream media's coverage yeah. about this too? Because uh, that's been a piece on my, on my mind. Um, what, like why mainstream media is, uh, is giving him so much positive coverage not all mainstream media but like some outlets certainly aren't i don't understand this yeah and there there are some outlets that are giving sam bankman fried the time of day and also those same outlets also are running like pretty good reports pretty good accounts so it's very mixed like the new york times and the wall street journal are definitely the big like culprits here like these articles that ran pieces as to like oh like sam bankman fried says he's sorry and like forgets about the whole theft of customer <laughs> deposits. And then that same outlet will actually run a like, decently well, like research report on the whole thing. Uh, and so like, what, what the hell is going on with that? Uh, and, and so there's a, a lot to unpack there. Uh, part of this answer, of course, goes into the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that Sam Bankman Freed has donated, uh, not just to the Democrats or other, even the Republicans or to political organizations, but nonprofits as well. And so there's just going to be this massive like audit of the state of money that Sam Bankman Freed and FTX like sloshed around everywhere. And like, what, what do we do about that fact? Because that's a very relevant part of the story, too. Well, we're going to talk about all that. And I know toward the end of this episode, you're going to put on your therapist hat a little bit as well. And uh, because I think there's some uh, psychology here, that's maybe persistent psychology that we've seen a pattern emerge across many of these uh, folks that have um, scammed the industry, yeah. really. So uh, I want to get to that too. Guys, before we get in, I want to tell you about our friends and sponsors. This is uh, Infura. Um, they are calling all Web3 infrastructure providers to get early access to their decentralized infrastructure network. Think Infura has been criticized as being a centralization vector uh, of Ethereum in the past. And of course, they don't run your individual Ethereum node, but they run a lot of the ar archival nodes. So they would be 
you know, like Infura would be maybe behind a MetaMask transaction or, or something like this. Well, they are taking steps to decentralize the Infura network, which is pretty key if we're going to build a uh, decentralized future on top of this crypto money system that we have, rather than rely on the SBFs of the world, we need to decentralize our data providers, infrastructure providers. I think there's some early access people can get here. David, what are we looking at uh, on the link? Yeah, there is the early access program to the decentralized version of Infura, which exists in the future if we help it come about. Uh, there's <laughs> been a bunch of controversy in, in Infura in the news lately about just like reporting IP addresses and mapping Ethereum addresses. There was a bunch of nuanced threads that came out of Dan Finley and, and Joseph Lubin. But this is actually not about that. This is about taking the Infura stack, the very important role of RPC endpoints in the way that we broadcast transactions to Ethereum and doing the thing that we love to do in this space, which is decentralizing it. So if you have skills that Infura might want or need to help uh, decentralize their own stack, there is a link in the show notes where you can sign up to help that effort uh, proceed into the frontier. David, as you were uh, talking about that, uh, I was reading the chat window. Someone said, David looking jacked. Man, you've been working out over the holidays? That, that turkey treating you well? Uh, I have set a goal to climb a mountain in 2023. And so, yeah, I've been going to the gym. There you go. Climb a mountain, not metaphorically. You're talking about no. I'm talking a literal mountain. mountain. Yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> that's cool. David in his spare time went away from crypto. Goes and uh, you know does ice climbing up glacial sheets. And all, all the risks I don't take in crypto, I take in my outside adventures. <laughs> oh, that's <Yeah>. great. <laughs> Stay healthy, my friend. That's all I gotta say. This show would be pretty boring if it was just me. No one would tune in. All right. So um, let's start at the high level mm -hmm. of this story and. <laughs> Here's kind of the, the question. Maybe we need a, a reminder mm -hmm. of like, obviously, uh, people have bandied about the word fraud and, and talked about, you know, scammer. There are some legal definitions for what SBF actually did. Right. Maybe we could get into the story, but I want you to kind of remind us, because this is the topic of why isn't SBF arrested? And the question of, okay, there, some people are saying because rich people don't go to jail. Others are saying because he didn't do anything illegal. Can you just remind us of what SBF actually did? And we'll talk about whether it's legal or whether it's not in the nuance there. Yeah, yeah, we got we got the receipts, of course. And as if anyone listening to this episode like needs to be reminded, but we're going to go through all of the illegal things that SBF did. Uh, some some things aren't technically illegal, but they are downstream of illegal things. And so uh, we'll get into all those uh, those as well. But I want to start before we get to all of that with this article out of uh, Fortune, uh, Fortune magazine, which the title of this is just like, could SBF go to prison for the FTX disaster? Which, like, the answer is yes. <laughs> you don't, you yes. don't even have to ask the question. Yes, he could. But, yes. Well, to be fair, this is November 13th. So this was right. a while ago. Sure. And also the audience to this article are, like, not bankless listeners. They aren't on crypto Twitter. They aren't familiar with FTX. So, like, this is still coming from, like, going out to people that are still trying to get up to speed with the article or with, okay. with the events. Uh, and so this article gives out two reasons about, like, perhaps what, like, what it would take to get SBF arrested. Uh, and two complications, if you will. First, there's jurisdiction. Uh, so since FTX is an offshore business with headquarters in the Bahamas and did not cater to Americans, defense lawyers could argue that the actions of FTX executives are beyond the reach of US law enforcement. Uh, I'm sure people listening to that are like, mm, that doesn't sound like that. But the Bahamas up. has jail. Yeah, too, the Bahamas it? also has a jail, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, and then the second would be intent. Uh, or so like, you know, mismanaging your company and losing a bunch of other people's money is technically not criminal. Mismanagement happens all the time. For a criminal case, there has to be like deception, right? Uh, 
Uh, and so these are the two things that we would need to get over in order to prove that SBF needs to go to you jail. You have to prove these in court, right. you know, all of these uh, things, of course. I feel like, Ryan, that these are <laughs> easy things to prove. Surmountable obstacles. Very surmountable <laughs> obstacles. Okay. Uh, because, like, reminder, SBF is an American. FTX totally serviced American customers. It yes. marketed to Americans. You remember the Super Bowl ad? Remember FTX Arena? Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> like, yeah, they had the best Super Bowl ad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it was no actually question. coming out of that. It was our favorite. Um, it was Super Bowl. Yeah, ad. it was. The, it was our Larry favorite. David. Yeah, it was. It was hilarious. Yeah, Larry David, who is now being sued for for doing that, which is ridiculous. But like, okay, so like jurisdiction and intent, uh, like. It, it, jurisdiction i just covered that we don't need to go over like how many americans yeah, lost money in FTX. some intent there i mean the stories of him like cooking the books behind the scenes having right. backdoor access from like right. one set of books to the other and by the way if he did that i think that's maybe legally technically mm -hmm. like fraud mm -hmm. the bar of fraud but what are we looking at here is this uh yeah you've got a, a, a police statement. arrest yeah you've got a, a, a statement from the police public affairs and communications department of uh the bah bahamian police saying in light of the collapse of FTX globally and the provision provisional liquidation of FTX, a team of financial investigators from the, again, Bahaman Financial Crimes Investigation Branch are working closely with the Bahaman Securities Commission to investigate if any criminal misconduct occurred. Uh, right. <laughs> November 13th, 2022. Uh, reminder, <laughs> criminal misconduct definitely occurred. So, uh, I mean, we're about to get into all of the people that SBF paid money to. Uh, and I would just like to raise the possibility that if SBF donated to both political parties, a bunch of nonprofits, the New York Times, a bunch of media institutions who are gonna, again, huh. we're gonna go through all of these, is it also possible that FTX also paid off Bahamian regulators? I don't have the answer to that question. I am just posing that question. I don't know what the police are like in the Bahamas, but I, do I don't know that. why I have this stereotype of them being like super chill. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know that that's the case though. Um, but what are we looking at here? One million creditors yes. in their bankruptcy filing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when this this um, public affairs communication from from the Bahamian police was released, two days later, we got the actual bankruptcy filing, which indicated how many creditors were were out of money here. Why why are we pulling this up? Uh, well, because it, it would imply that if there are over one million people or entities who are owed money by FTX, that uh, it's like a you know. Uh, what's the word? Uh, smoking gun that uh, criminal activity definitely occurred. If like, yes. if you owe one million people money, like people can find. <laughs> what did you do? People can find you some. Something. You we can find something illegal that you probably did. So the sure. like the likelihood is very very strong. Uh, the vast majority of these one million uh, you know creditors are again customers retail who did people. not consent to their money being sent to Alameda Research which is mm. like the main bit of fraud that happened here. Uh, and so there's a bunch of other like things that we're about to go down. L SBF used Alameda research for customer for trading of customer funds, the illegal backdoor and a bespoke bookkeeping system, FTX buying 19 million 19 properties in the Bahamas worth $121 million. That's not illegal. Uh, <laughs> Unless you do it with someone else's money that you yeah. stole? Yes. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to get to all of these things and more right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. 
Arbitrum 1 is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum 1, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum 1 and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. The Brave Wallet is your secure multi-chain on-ramp into Web3 and it's built directly into the Brave privacy browser. Gone are the days of managing multiple wallet extensions that put you at risk of phishing, spoofs, and tracking. With the Brave Wallet, you can securely manage your crypto assets across more than 100 different chains, including Ethereum, Layer 2s, Solana, and more, all without downloading risky extensions. The Brave Wallet is easy to set up and removes the headache of jumping between wallets and extensions. It's lightweight, but packed with great features like built-in token swaps, buying and holding NFTs with a gallery view, and support for hardware wallets. But also much more than that, because Brave is shipping new features every single month with a mission to make Web3 easier to navigate for its over 55 million users. Wallet extensions are a thing of the past. So get started with Brave's Web3 Ready browser today and experience a decentralized web seamlessly without all the clutter. You can download the browser at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. If you've been listening to Bankless, you know that we're fans of the modular blockchain thesis. The idea that blockchains will separate execution from data availability and consensus, allowing all three to become the best versions of themselves. And Fuel has built the fastest modular execution layer in the industry. By supporting parallel transaction execution, Fuel unlocks significantly faster throughput for the Web3 world. Fuel also goes beyond the limitations of the EVM with its own Fuel VM which is more efficient and optimized, opening up the design space for developers. And lastly, Fuel brings a powerful developer experience with its own domain-specific language, Sway, and a supportive tool chain called Fork. With Fuel, you can have the benefits of smart contract languages like Solidity while adopting the improvements made by the Rust tooling ecosystem, letting the Fuel development environment go beyond the limitations of the EVM. If you want to learn more, there's a link in the show notes to see how you can get involved with the Fuel network. All right, Ryan. We've got a long list of, you know, criminal activity to go through. You ready? Yeah. We'll see okay. the rapture. <laughs> uh, and so uh, the CNBC article headline, of course, says Sam Bankman-Fried's Alameda quietly used FTX customer funds for trading, says sources. And of course, this is the big one. This is the big thing. The, the umbilical cord between FTX and Alameda is the illegal thing. Um, there's a bunch of other things as well, but this is a matter of like setting up an exchange and then... When you have an exchange, uh, if, if you are ever interested in starting an exchange, Ryan, uh, here's how you would do it. You would take in like one customer's Bitcoin, and then you would have a one Bitcoin liability to that customer. You would also have one Bitcoin. And so that matches. And so you should never, ever not have the funds that customers deposit. You are meant to be a full reserve institution. These are the words that I remember coming out of a Nick Carter's mouth when I was listening to his podcast. You are meant to be a full reserve institution. Uh, and so the fact that Alameda had this like pipeline of money to trade customers' funds is the first obviously very illegal thing to do, uh, according to US securities laws, right? Uh, in, in this same article, 
Sam Bankman-Fried told CNBC, our margin, our margin position took a huge hit, implying that FTX sent money to Alameda, who then used it on leverage to gamble on the market. Um, right. perhaps, perhaps there might be some laws uh, inside the United States that say that that might be illegal. Um, and then in the same article, Alameda was allowed to post the FTT tokens it held as collateral and barred. And so this is the insane thing. Alameda Research had FTT tokens, which it sent to FTX to post as collateral when it was borrowing the funds. And so I was like, okay, like <laughs> we have this collateral, which FTX totally has the money printer for, but we'll use this collateral to, as like legitimate justification oh, no, to, to, buying to borrowing yes. customer funds. That's yes. insane. It's pretty right. fresh. So, so that's the big one. Uh, there's also the uh, backdoor bespoke bookkeeping system that uh, FTX made themselves. Uh, and so there was a backdoor in their own accounting system that allowed Sam to execute commands that could alter the company's financial records without alerting anyone else in the company, including external auditors. And this was what allowed for the movement of 10 billion dollars in funds to Alameda that didn't trigger any internal or compliance red flags at FTX. I bet you they didn't even have any internal like compliance teams. But okay, so that that is what is that? That is like there, there's intent there. If you create a backdoor and a bespoke bookkeeping system, I feel like that is uh, evidence of intent, right? Am I crazy? Uh, it seems like it. I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> intentful. I mean, you're, that's called cooking the books, right? It's, right. Uh, this is Enron-level fraud. Uh, and then there's the, uh, the article about how FTX bought 19 properties for a total of $121 million. Uh, and then inside this article, it says, separately, attorneys for FTX said that one of the company's units, remember how like there's this massive org chart of FTX, spent $300 million in the Bahamas buying homes and vacation properties for its senior staff, and that FTX was, of course, run as the personal fiefdom of Sam Bankman-Fried. Most of these were luxury beachfront homes. That This is insane. $72 million of like the most expensive property in, uh, in the Bahamas. Uh, and the, the deeds of these properties, which were, again, bought by a unit of FTX, were uh, said that these were used as residences for key personnel of FTX. Like, I don't think, like, it's just dubious that an exchange or any company would buy this much real estate and for their own, like, C-levels execs. But then when you combine that, of course, with, like, the fact that they were just using customer deposits to do this, is like, it's not only dubious, like, it's illegal to begin with. Um, there's also, there's also the fact that SBF took out a $1 billion loan from Alameda Research, a personal loan from Alameda Research. But where did Alameda Research get that money? Well, they got it from FTX. So it was Sam Bankman-Fried's exchange sent it to his prop really, trading it's desk. Not, look, man, it's not too much to say he was basically using depositors' money as a personal piggy <clears throat> bank. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what he's doing. His personal mm -hmm. piggy, buying Slush property fund. in the Bahamas for his parents. Mm-hmm. And himself. Okay, Each so front, beautiful property. Here's my favorite one. This is the uh, the CoinDesk article. Uh, and so, uh, do you remember? Do you remember when um, FTX raised four hundred and twenty million dollars and four hundred twenty million sixty nine thousand dollars for the meme yeah, raise? Remember funny. that? That's so, real funny now, isn't it? Super funny. You know what else is super funny? In what? that same raise, SBF sold three million dollars of his own equity into that funding. No, no not three million. 
Oh, th- excuse me, 300. 300 million. 300? 300 Those million. are rookie numbers, okay? <laughs> this is SBF world. You got to 100x those numbers. <laughs> Three, so, so while FTX raised $420 million, $69,000, Sam Bankman-Fried yeah. personally sold $300 million of his own stake in FTX. Somebody in chat, by the way, saying his parents are lawyers. Isn't that crazy? The guy, <laughs> the guy knows better than this. Raised by right. lawyers. And this is what's happening. Right. This is what's going on. Yeah. Apparently, at the time when SPF did this, he told previous investors that this was partially to reimburse him for money he spent to buy out Binance's stake in FTX a few months earlier. Um, Dude, but- like, if you're a VC, though, and you, like, just put $420 million and the founder takes out Three hundred million. million out of that race. Three quarters of that. <laughs> do you think something is happening? That like, is the do you think some alarms are going off in yeah. your head, and you're being like, "Huh, this." So we got 120 million of this raise to continue like building the company, but founders just taking out 300 million. Why did this story not come out until now? Because investors oh. at the time knew this. He told investors of FTX during this raise that he did this because that's David. that's. Why didn't why didn't they bring this up at the time? Look, we'll have to wait for the movie to get all the kind of dramatization details. By the way, did you know that um, Netflix has signed for the rights to this? Among like Apple's fighting for it, like there's going to be so much Good. material. <laughs> Good. <laughs> what you want this story to be uh, told? Yeah, yeah. Because if they tell the story right, dramatized. It, it, yes, if they tell the story right, hopefully, maybe I'm like have too much faith in humanity. I don't know that they're going to. They're tell the they're story going right. to tell the difference between DeFi and FTX. Do you think? Am I naive? I expect you to be very pissed off at the oh. outcome of the stories that are told. We will see. But like, let's take our clue from mainstream media co- coverage okay. right now, Do it. because that has been very much mixed to terrible coverage. Yeah. Maybe emphasis more on the terrible side of things. That's the other mm-hmm. part of the story. Um, should we pull up? I, I actually don't have a subscription to the New York Times, David. Okay. I forgot to get that prior to the show. But um, what is this New York Times article? So this is the puff piece that everyone got really, really mad about. Uh, so there's this New York Times puff piece that talked about how Sam Bankman-Fried's empire collapsed. Uh, and uh, even though you didn't uh, subscribe to New York Times, I still pulled out a couple lines. Uh, one of the reasons why, according to the New York Times, that FTX's empire collapsed was that it expanded too fast and that they failed to see warning signs how does that how does that land with you ryan how does that land with me it does not want me to make me want to subscribe to the new york times uh and the 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 the, a comment on the article that was from another article was that this whole article just uses soft passive language to disguise blame at every single turn uh and so there's there's a tweet that i thought was pretty useful from uh trung fan that said that looks like did the command f on the words fraud enron crime illiquid stolen hidden criminal or backdoor to see if any of these words showed up in the new york times article and none of them did uh some for some reason they talked about him getting sleep now i now i personally read this uh article ryan of course uh and like while that point definitely stands that the there's no word fraud or theft in this article it actually wasn't as puff piecey as I kind of thought it was. I don't know if you've read this article or got your take on it, but uh, like it was an acceptable account of things that happened in FTX that could have been more scathing, but was a little bit rounded edges. But I still thought it was an acceptable like account of what happened. 
Anyways, that's my okay. Take. So you don't think this was as much of a? It's not super as... puffy. It's just not as deadly as it should have been. It's kind of funny because I do feel like many of the biases out of uh, the New York Times, uh, mm. Wall Street Journal, these other sources are very crypti- crypto unfriendly. Yes, and have been um, mm. for crypto's entire life cycle. You would have expected. Now that they actually have a smoking gun, gun. Ah, we found the scammer, the biggest right. scammer in like right. maybe modern banking history. Uh, they would have gone hardcore after not only crypto, mm-hmm. but also the scammer right. uh, themselves. And a question. It kind of begs the question of why we got a different outcome here. Mm-hmm. Um, this I don't was, know, are there more this examples crazy. of this? Yeah. So this, this is, remember when uh, Sam Bankman Free turned, uh, how do I call him Sam? Uh, SBF wrote that uh, apology uh, to his employees and, and like it got sent out in a bunch of screenshots. Yes. So Liz Hoffman of the Wall Street Journal uh, tweets out these screenshots. She wasn't the source, but she tweets out the screenshots to make some commentary. Uh, and she follows up and says, well, this mostly makes sense to me uh, after Sam gave the account for how FTX ran out of funds. And like he's like, yeah, we had a leverage position. The markets turned against us. Our assets became less than our liabilities. Uh, and then he does he does his napkin math accounting, which is embarrassing because he doesn't even know how much FTX has in his books. And then Liz Hoffman of the Wall Street Journal responds, this mostly makes sense to me. FTX had a lot of collateral, 60 billion, against not that many liabilities. The problem that the collateral was mo- monopoly money and the liabilities were real money, just real basic bankless stuff. <laughs> Excuse me. Banking ba- stuff. Banking stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's not what happened, Liz. <laughs> That's not what well, happened at all. Number one is you never trust a Hoffman, so I, I think that's uh, she needs to change her part name. Part of the problem. <laughs> I'm not changing my name. Wow, that's that's an interesting take. Um, okay, but you get a lot of bad takes on on crypto. I guess not every mainstream media journalist publication mm-hmm. is going to have, I guess, great takes on this. Um, what is this from Forbes that we're looking at? Forbes Alameda CEO Caroline Ellison is a math whiz who loves Harry Potter and Risk. <laughs> Wait, when did this? When was this published? <laughs> November eighteenth. Oh my god, dude! <laughs> wow. Among other things, and scamming customers, and using depositors' funds, and wow, also a math whiz and loves Harry Potter. Again, cool if bio. you actually read this full length of the article, you actually yes. do. You actually do get this image of like, oh, Caroline totally like effed up, and this is totally her fault. But the headline is that she is a math whiz who loves Harry Potter and Risk is absurd. <laughs> <laughs> wow that is silly um okay okay but this, the tweet this is this is taken down the tweet was not taken down no uh but okay so here's my favorite one uh this which is which is this. the washington post before ftx collapsed founder poured millions into pandemic prevention <laughs> and so here, most here, of these initiatives have come to a sudden halt yes, yes yeah, uh-huh they have uh so so I, i'm gonna i'm gonna read an excerpt from this uh when the coronavirus pandemic hit and the world shut down in the spring of 2020 many mourned the loss of life jobs and normalcy Sam Bankman-Fried, then a 28-year-old cryptocurrency entrepreneur, and his brother Gabe, a 25-year-old congressional staffer, said the pandemic provided them with something else, an opportunity to make a difference. Harnessing the enormous wealth created by FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange that SBF had founded, they undertook a project to spend potentially billions of dollars on pandemic prevention, a long-neglected priority on Capitol Hill, even amidst the coronavirus crisis. What is this reporting, dude? I don't know. I don't know. That I mean, this is either very lazy rep- like reporting or just um, completely out of touch with what's actually happening. But did this just say that Sam had a brother? who is a 25-year-old congressional staffer? Yeah, that's actually news to me. 
I didn't know that. I did not know that. His brother Gabe is a congressional staffer. Yeah, and this family's all over the place, man. Like, all over the place, like, embedded in some of the largest institutions yeah. that run yeah. the United States yeah. is what yeah. you mean by all over the place. Yes, that is what I mean. Uh, okay, and so, uh, Ryan, did you know tomorrow SBF is meant to appear at a New York Times conference? I did know this. Yeah. Uh, so that is ha that's happening tomorrow. It's happening virtually, I believe. Is so it? Not okay, well, that, that makes sense. Because I believe it, that's the case. <laughs> Remember but Sam Bankman-Fried's tweet to see about CZ? He's like, is that even, guy even allowed in the United States? Uh, well, pretty sure Sam Bankman-Fried is not supposed to go to the United States anymore. Did you see the speaker list for this? By the way, this looks like a total pose. I don't know if it's like... Are you seeing any amphetamines on the desk? Um, uh, there is a picture of amphetamines on the desk that we'll come to later. That'll be at the end okay. of the show. <laughs> oh, thanks. That you really delivered on this agenda. <laughs> yeah. um, you, did you see who else was, was with him? In... Uh, no. Okay, so I think I, I tweeted out kind of a, a list of the other people who are attending this conference at the same time because it's kind of like a, a who's who's list. Oh, here we go. Look at this. Okay, mayor of Eric New York Adams, City. the mayor. All right. Uh, let's Larry see. Fink, oh, CEO great. of BlackRock. Reed Hastings. Oh, Janet Yellen. Netflix. I'm suing her. Janet Yellen. <laughs> Mike Pence. Zuck. Um, Zuck. Zelensky. Wow. And also SBF. Wow. And I'm just surprised he hasn't been uninvited, honestly. Um, I don't know. Like, what do you what do you think about this? Like, you're in kind of the content uh, game. SBF has been on the Bankless podcast before, yep. huh. um, before all of this came to light. I'm not convinced that we wouldn't have him on again. I, I think he deserves an accounting to the crypto industry to just like somebody to just be like, what did you do and why did you do this? So I, I, I did DM Sam when he was talking to, who was he talking to? Uh, Dave Portnoy. Uh, Dave Portnoy was like, I'm going <laughs> to yes. do, a, I'm gonna do a, an interview with Sam Bankman-Fried. And I sent uh, Sam in Twitter DMs that tweet. And I was like, if you go on any media like thing that's not a crypto media thing, uh, crypto media platform to talk to, to and about crypto, like no one's ever like, it, I mean, he was beyond the point of repair at that point, but it was basically like, you have to come talk to the crypto industry and apologize to us. And he of course didn't, didn't answer that. So yes. accounting for your actions. Right. So would I, would we have SBF on? Uh, I think so because also we're not the New York times who is apparently conflicted and not sober about what happened. And we would actually ask the right questions. But why? I, I just still don't understand. Why would New York times Washington post, why would they be giving him the softball treatment? Um, is there an answer to that there, question? There is not a concrete answer, but there is a bunch of data that points to a very plausible answer. Uh, and that answer is money. Surprise. Money. Surprise. Money. Uh, but okay. before, before we get to that point, there's like a few more tweets that I want to get to. Did you, did you see the Matt Walsh tweet that just went absolutely viral? Uh, I did. Yes. This was Matt Walsh um, correcting yes. the Wall Street Journal. By the way, this so for people who can't see on the podcast, this is the Wall Street Journal front page of the Wall Street Journal. And the, um, the, the title, the headline on the front page is FTX collapse wiped out founders philanthropic aims. Okay. And this was published November 25th. So Black Friday, the day after you're having your Thanksgiving the meal. 25th or the 23rd? Uh, this says on the top here, November 25th. Okay. Okay, cool. I got the glasses, David. Not I you, do not have I got that. See, this is clearer than 2020 to me. All right. These glasses really help. Um, FTX, FTX's collapse wiped out founders' philanthropic aims. And Matt Walsh revises this headline with something else. What, is he, what does he say? Yeah, so in big, bold Sharpie, he writes, FTX's fraud wiped out customer money. 
Again, <laughs> this is the thing that mainstream media can't figure out. No, it's this is not, ludicrous. It's not that complicated. What happened? Frog. On the twenty on the twenty fifth too of November, like huh. this is very clear what SBS yes. been up to. Like evidence has mounted. Like I can't, I can't. How did this make it off of the press floor? This is after the Vox article where SBF said, yeah, the whole like woke liberal like effective altruism donation things was just a front. That's after <laughs> he told us this. <laughs> is this okay? I'm still not convinced that this isn't just lazy laziness. It could be just be laziness. Do you but think it's, it is? It's pretty damn. I mean, if, if it is laziness, then what is the state of modern day journalism, Ryan? I don't know. Like, <laughs> what are they doing? I, so here's the thing. I've, um, I've always rejected um, when people have referred to Bankless as journalists. I've always rejected that. We are not because, journalists. Like, I feel like journalists should be at a much higher, held to a much higher standard than Bankless is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are investors trying to figure this out on the on the yeah. journey, right? Thesis-driven media company. Yeah, so sometimes we're trying to interpret uh, events as they come in, but like we are not doing in-depth investigative reporting. That's for these guys to do. Right. I thought that's what these institutions were set up to do: the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post. Aren't they supposed to like get to the meat of the story and uncover the facts and uh, give us some distillation of this? Um, <laughs> this is not the headline that's doing that, David. Yeah, uh, I, I would say to put it into a, a single sentence, Bankless is, would write an article that says Ether is ultrasound money. And an investigative journalist would write an article that says, is Ether ultrasound money? Those are two <laughs> different things. After we meme it. <laughs> After <laughs> we meme it. Yeah. Okay, so that, that begs the question then we're getting back to, which is like, why is the media like this? Right. What hap why are they doing this? Um, what's the reason for this kind of reporting? And you said you whispered into the mic just now, money. Money. What 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 are we looking at from Elon Musk? Yeah, so here here's story? Elon Musk saying, if SBF was as good at running a crypto exchange as he was at bribing media, FTX would still be solvent, which has almost thirty thousand likes. Good good so tweet. Good tweet. Elon. That is an explanation. It's mm -hmm. bribing media. What does that mean? What like, what does it take to bribe media? Well, I'd love to ask SPF this. He did this in a variety of different capacities. Uh, and so uh, there's this intercept um, journalist uh, journalism thing, uh, which this uh, subtitle for the intercept is fearless adversarial journalism that holds the powerful accountable. Uh, SPF donated $3.25 million to the intercept. Uh, there's Wait, this... is this like a nonprofit? The intercept nonprofit? No, it, it's a, like a... It, oh, maybe it's a nonprofit. I actually don't know. It's definitely a media, an investigative media institution. Whether it's a nonprofit or not, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Uh, it, let's, it, oh, it's a nonprofit news organization founded by Glenn Greenwald. Cool. Um, yep. Okay. So there's that. Uh, the next in the list, Semaphore, a new journalism project created by Ben Smith, the, formerly the media columnist at the New York Times, and before that, the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed. Uh, yes. SBF gave a grant to Semaphore. A um, grant. Yeah, remember, uh, and then Ryan, remember Trustless Media? We covered this uh, very briefly yes. on a weekly roll-up a long time ago. It was a, it raised money to start a media company in crypto called Trustless Media, which I took offense to because my Twitter name <laughs> is Trustless State. Um, but we talked about them anyways because it was a good raise. Uh, high production, uh, and they were actually the first- The bankless killer. The, yeah, the bankless killer. Yeah, that was like kind of the wink wink. Uh, they were also the first organization that did the first big piece on Do Kwan after the terror collapse. They, that was their episode zero. They like, and were somehow got Do Kwan to do an interview after, after uh, God, look at that photo, man. 
what the hell? After, after Terra collapsed, uh, they got the first scoop with Do Quan. Um, you remember this? Yes, I totally do. Well, guess who led the round of Trustless Media? I, I, you're going to tell me what I already know, but why don't you tell everyone else? It was Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried, <laughs> yes, FTX was. CEO, leads Trustless Media's seed round to help build community-owned Web3 shows. Can we, does that... Can you go back to the old website? Does that look community owned to you? Well, this is what Bankless could look like if we actually had some uh, fantastic. If we actually raise, value, raised money, yeah, <laughs> yeah, raised money. <laughs> I, you know, look, uh, he's going for something here, right? Like, I, I guess I get it, but um, is this is this effectively what it means to buy media? Is you kind of write checks, mm -hmm. uh, grants uh, through sponsorship, I guess. and when you can't get any forays into crypto, you kind of found and create your own crypto native web three media companies. Is this yeah. effectively what it means? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I would imagine there's a bunch of sponsors out there who are like, we'll totally sponsor your like media org and like run commercials, but you have to do this, this, and this. Can, and can you talk, can you talk about that? So, um, I feel like we have, um, we have an idea of what this looks like because we are mm -hmm. actually running a media company. Right. And so like we have sponsors huh? that pay for our show. I, I, I guess I will um, talk about that for a minute. Sure. Our, our policy and our approach to sponsorship is always, has always been like, you have to be willing to fire your sponsors at any time. You can't let them own you. That that's policy number one. Right. And so, We've you are, you had, are never beholden to sponsors. Never be beholden to, to sponsors, right? Don't be ever put yourself in a place where you uh, require a check from a set of sponsors in order to exist and push your message forward, right? Rather be in a place where you can select and pick your sponsors as you go and drop those that don't align with your values and retain those that, that do. So that's something that I, I feel like we've worked hard at Bankless mm -hmm. to do. And in order to do that, you have to like keep small, stay scrappy, maintain profitable over, be, be profitable over time and kind of establish a, a reputation. Cause I think you can very easily be put in a place where you're owned by sponsors. You can also be put in a place where you're owned by, uh, your investors as well. And so, um, I think this is a challenge if you are funded by like a billionaire, Jeff Bezos or somebody in the crypto, like this example of trustless media was funded by SBF really hard to write a uh, a piece on SBF or comment and talk about SBF if you're actually funded by the guy, Alameda, right? So that's another thing that um, we've avoid, avoided doing. And um, I guess, you know, our policy towards sponsors has always been just like um, fire any of them if we have to, yep. right? And so we have let sponsors go in the past. Um, don't sell to the highest bidder. Never, never receive sponsorship for like um, content. Yeah, paid content. So, right. paid content is an absolute no-no. Like, always has been for Bankless. Can we? Can us. you define paid content? Because when we were taught, when we had our BitBoy show, people were like, Bankless receives money for their sponsors. What the hell's What the hell's the difference between what we were talking with BitBoy? What the is thing Ryan, that, Ryan? What is paid content? Yeah, paid content means like it looks like it's organic content, right? So let's say we wrote an article on Bankless and it looked like it was organic content, but it was really funded by some sponsor, FTX right. or something like this. And yeah. so it was it was actually a puff piece, right? right? Um, 
or or a podcast, a show, let's say, the reason we're having so-and-so on a show is because um, they have paid to be on the show, something right. like that. And so- Disclosed or undisclosed? And then- Disclosed or undisclosed. I if think if part it of is running, disclosed, like that's one business model, as long as you're ex extremely explicit about it. Uh, I agree, but even then it can become kind of a, a slippery yeah. slope, right. right? Of like, you're just, but you're disclosing it, but like, so we have never done paid content pieces. We always segment our sponsors as like, Hey, this is a sponsor. Like it's very clear when bankless runs an ad, like these are, these are uh, advertisers. Anyway, it's not perfect. Right. But, um, it is a way to put some firewalls in our media entity so that we can't be purchased by a Sam Bankman fried or an FTX. Right. right. And I think that becomes hard. Uh, over time, if you know, maybe you're an established institution, your 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 revenue's down, your subscribers are down, all of these things. There's mounting pressure, and so there can be external pressures that that cause you to take sponsor funds that you wouldn't ordinarily take. Right. Um, we've been we've always tried to be very diligent on that and like make sure that that um, we're firewalled off from that and we don't have that that kind of risk. Um, and I think other crypto media entities do that fairly well. Um, so I guess that is how you buy, buy media though, mm -hmm. right? You could right. like pay for content, you pay, pay for a puff piece. You could donate to the right, right people. You can, um, you know, spend on sponsorship money with kind of the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, you're going to cover us favorably right. if we spend on you. It's right. that sort of thing. Oh, I have a, I have plenty to talk about there. And actually Balaji has plenty to talk about there. Uh, because this Balaji, I think did a pretty good like autopsy of, the whole like confusion as to like, is the media mainstream media paid off? Is it not? What the hell is going on? Uh, so he put a, a thread together, which, which I, I want to read. Uh, and then he also gets into some, uh, some technical, some like legal terms, which uh, he says, like, if you lost money in FTX, you should be familiar with these, which I will go through. Uh, Ryan, you want to share Balaji's thread while I go through this? Oh yeah. I was just looking at it here. Let me share my screen. This is Balaji now. Yeah. Okay. So Blasi says the net result of FTX is that billions of dollars were stolen from crypto investors to give Democrat aligned politicians, nonprofits, and journalists. This is why there may be no prosecution. So what? this brings us to kind of the punchline of the whole episode. Why isn't SBF in jail? Well, because he spent hundreds of millions of dollars on political organizations, PACs, nonprofits, and journalists. Uh, can I can I just pause? This is a stronger articulation of what you just yes. said because part of the answer of why isn't SBF in jail mm -hmm. um, is just because it's too soon. Like right. we have to prove this case, he has to be arrested. Like we have to mm -hmm. have some probable cause before arresting him. All of these things. But Balashi's making the case that he may never go to jail. Right. In fact, there might never be prosecution here. Mm -hmm. So let's segment that out. It's not that SBF isn't in jail now. It's that he might never face accountability mm. for his actions right so yeah go on what does balaji say yeah so balaji of course asked the question so why is sbf so protected uh and answers he was basically soros jr just with stolen customer money and evidently bought off entire media non-profit political and regulatory establishments uh the author of this article that uh, balaji is linking uh linking is he says a born rich journalist so he knows uh, sam bankman fried's milieu his like you know uh comrades if you will uh, the author and, of what? Uh, the article that he is uh, he is uh, citing in this tweet right here. Okay. Um, uh, and so the the article says the optics would look awful if if SBF is giving away money to whiz kid. 
political projects just as millions of FTX customers lose their deposits. Uh, and then Balaji says, the overall picture you get is of rats scurrying around now that SBF's money has been cut off and very much not wanting to defraud crypto investors to claw back those stolen funds. We'll get into what a clawback is in a second. Um, and so Balaji continues and says, the stage is set for an absolutely insane zero-sum match. On one side, one million crypto investors robbed of 10 millions of dollars by SBF. On the other side, a network of dark money Democrats who will fight to keep as much of those stolen funds as possible. So this tension is one of the big answers to the question as to why SBF isn't arrested yet. And this is the, the juxtaposition, if you believe Balaji, if you believe this, this angle of things, is that... We have you know, a bunch of people who would like their money back because it was stolen from them by SBF and crew. Uh, and then there's a bunch of uh, political organizations who now have a bunch of money and would like to stay in power and not give that money back because you know, we need money to stay in power. Uh, and so Balaji continues and says, the bankruptcy case may play out on social media. Crypto investors to, to get FTX funds back may hire lawyers like Irving Picard who clawed back 75 cents on the dollar for Madoff's victims, Bernie Madoff's victims. Uh, and so who would they claw the money back from? Of course, it's the groups that SBF funded. Uh, and so uh, just uh, continue a few more uh, tweets here. The fundamental question is, when did SBF start stealing from customers and how much did he steal? And Ryan, like throughout the reporting, we've there's pretty strong indications that the fraud of FTX actually started all the way back in 2021. Because if you remember, Alameda Research posted a net loss of $3 billion on their tax returns on, on 2021's. Bull, bull year for crypto. How right. How do you lose money? And, and SBF started shooting from the hip with political donations before 2022, back in 2021. And so SBF was sending, at, while his big hedge fund, Alameda, was taking the, the uh, fat L, he was still spending a ton of money on political donations, on nonprofits, on media entities. And so this fraud might, may go as far back as uh, uh, money being spent in 2021. So that's crazy. Uh, and so Blasi says, this can only be answered by forensic accounting. So hopefully that is uh, you know, some forensic analysis that's going on right now. Uh, and so uh, on his uh, one, one more tweet. Yeah, one more tweet. Uh, he goes, the list of all the donations. Wait, before this, David, uh -huh. it says the headline amount given to Democrat politicians is $37 million, mm -hmm. but understates it. FTX Foundation alone mm -hmm. was $190 million. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Oh my God. That is getting to Soros-level donations here. Right? Yeah. And so the next tweet, $69 million in political do donations, mostly to Democrats, but also to some Republicans. $109 million to a foundation, that's the FTX. $128 million to a political action what? committee. Uh, you know that political action committee? You know which one that is, Ryan? I'm sure it was protecting DeFi freedoms. Uh, it was, it was, what was it? Uh, shit, where's my notes? Uh, it's, I can't remember the, the title. It's like Fight for Freedom. It's something f with, the, it's two Fs. Fight for Freed? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's his mom's super PAC. Or PAC. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he sent <laughs> 120. Throw a little uh, nepotism in there. Exactly. He sent $128 million to his mom's political action Well, committee. he's buying his parents' houses in the Bahamas. Right. They're in on this yes. too, right? Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Wow. Right. Uh, okay, actually, wait. But like, okay, but. One one piece for this, David. Mm -hmm. What I wasn't aware of in going through Balaji's tweet is the clawback potential here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mind mind the, mind. Really sorry, mind the gap was uh, the pack that was started by Bankman Sam Bankman Fried's money, which received 120 million dollars. What do what does mind the gaps do? Mind the gap. Uh, let me quickly Google. 
protect people from like metros subways step out too far <laughs> uh left wing super PAC dedicated to helping democratic political candidates win elections okay so this is also a political yes. uh donation yes. here yes okay so the clawback piece is the part that's new yes. to me i didn't realize that that could be right this money could be clawed back which maybe lends some credence because i've always been, like why is mainstream media now once this guy's ship is sunk why are rather than distancing themselves and condemning him and pretending like they are part of the group that's always hated SBF or always thought he was suspect. I would, I would anticipate that's the default reaction mainstream media, but Blasi saying it's maybe it's because they don't want their money to be clawed back. Exactly. Yeah. So if you actually scroll down a few more uh, tweets, uh, Blasi titles this tweet, the crypto clawback, anyone with money on FTX may want to learn the following terms, clawback, look back, fraudulent conveyance, unjust enrichment, voidable preference. Now, right, I went ahead and did some Googling. So I've got some of these terms to find here. So if anyone listening has uh, lost money in FTX and is curious as to what these means, here we go. Are you a lawyer now, David? I'm so such a lawyer, armchair Bankless lawyer. Bankless is not legal <laughs> advice. It's time to remind you. I'm just reading definitions here. Uh, <laughs> okay. Clawback. Uh, the term clawback refers to any money or benefits that have been given out but are required to be returned due to special circumstances or events, such as the monies having been received as a result of a financial crime. Wow, that seems relevant. Huh. <laughs> uh, fraudulent conveyance, the transfer of property for the express purpose of putting it beyond the reach of creditors, making creditors have to bring a lawsuit to, uh, to the courts in order to void the transfer. So uh, making it hard to get yes. your claw back. Yes, exactly. Unjustly enrichment. When party A confers a benefit to party B without party B providing proper restitution, a.k.a. an unequal exchange of value, for example, uh, the recipients of political donations from FTX who did not provide an equal and opposite return of value for those donations, therefore implying that the actual compensation was political protection. Um, wait, 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 wait. Isn't that all political donations? <laughs> Isn't that what lobbyists do legally? <laughs> Well, you okay. know, it depends on definitions. Uh, All right. And then voidable preference when there is a transfer of assets to a creditor shortly before a debtor files for bankruptcy protection. The recipient of these assets must return them to the bankruptcy estate. So basically, if you kind of withdrew from FTX yeah. and were able to get your funds out or something yeah. like this, um, yeah. that would be voidable preference. Yep. So all of these things seem kind of bad if you got money from FTX. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, so, so if anyone is listening who got money from FTX, you have to give it back. <laughs> you, that's probably uh, right. A, they have to yeah. prove this in court. In, I guess you're trying to disprove it in court. Yeah. I, if, how does that? Yeah, but if you're trying to disprove it that you have to give it back, who are you? Because that is credit. You're, like that's customers' money. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of suck, right? Yeah, you're you kind of suck. Side. Yeah. Well, somebody's got to take the L. Mm-hmm. So, so, Somebody does have to take the L. So maybe it should be depositors then. That's what some of these do donation recipients are probably going to argue in court. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to speed run through the rest of this uh, show, Ryan. Uh, okay. So uh, $5 million donated to Joe Biden for the 2021 uh, presidential campaign. Yes. Uh, 2022 midterm election cycle, uh, $40 million donated to mostly Democratic politicians, making him the uh, second largest financial backer after George Soros. Uh, Go he, on. He's also uh, paid for a speaking opportunity to sit on stage with none other than Bill Clinton. Uh, oh, Bill. Yeah. But FTX US. Hey, this is Tony Blair, too. Not oh, just Tony Bill. Blair. Look at that. Yeah. 
Uh, FTX uh, US also donated three quarters of a million dollars to Congressional Leadership Fund and $150,000 to the American Patriots PAC. These are uh, Republican uh, uh, um, entities, right? Uh, according to a Bloomberg report, FTX donated $1 million to the Senate Leadership Fund, a super PAC associated with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Uh, and uh, it just goes on and on and on. I do want to shout out to Beto O'Rourke, who returned $1 million that was donated by SBF. Uh, the money uh, on October 11th, SBF sent Beto O'Rourke $1 million, uh, but that $1 million was returned not, not after FTX imploded, but before because the contribution was unsolicited and, campaign, and the uh, campaign's upcoming report would show that this uh, $1 million donation was returned on November 4th. So I just want to do a tip of the hat to Beto O'Rourke for returning, o Rourke, yeah. o Rourke, thank you, for returning $1 million because it didn't pass the sniff test. Well done. Wait, you could do that? If well you're done. a politician, yes, you can you, return you, money you that you receive that looks shady? Back. Yes, you can give money back. Huh. That seems counterproductive. I don't know about this, David. <laughs> <laughs> Sequence is the all-in-one developer platform you need to build Web3 games and applications. For your users, Sequence is a smart wallet and it's the easiest, most intuitive onboarding your users will ever experience and comes with all the features users need to feel empowered in the Web3 world. Multi-chain support, NFT display, and users can buy SFTs, NFTs, and crypto directly with a credit or debit card. For developers, Sequence is the plug-and-play platform for Web3 games and apps. Their APIs let you bring NFTs, SFTs, and tokens into your game or application. And a Sequence Relayer enables gasless transactions for your users. Sequence already powers some of the best Web3 games like Skyweaver, NFT projects like CoolCats, and marketplaces like NiftySwap. And Sequence is compatible with all the EVM chains, including Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, Optimism, and Avalanche. So go to Sequence.xyz to get started unlocking the full potential of your application today. The reality today is that five corporations control the entire world of social media. They own our names, they restrict our content, they monitor our every move. And their time is up, thanks to our sponsor, Deso. Deso is a layer one blockchain built from the ground up to decentralize and scale social networks. With Deso, you can own your own identity, content, and social graph, and take it with you across hundreds of applications already built on the censorship-resistant Deso blockchain. Deso's storage advantages make it finally possible to build infinite state applications applications that can efficiently store and index large amounts of content and data fully on-chain. Deso also offers multiple crypto-native monetization primitives for developers and creators, including social NFTs, social DAOs, social tokens, and social tipping. So in order to experience the social layer of Web3, go to Deso.com and claim your username. That's D-E-S-O.com. TruFi is DeFi's largest credit protocol, connecting global lenders with institutional-grade lending opportunities. TruFi has completed over $1.7 billion in originations and paid out nearly $35 million to lenders, proving that DeFi is ready to take its next big leap into the $8 trillion credit market. TruFi gives lenders like you access to sustainable, high-yield opportunities backed by real-world investments, usually reserved for high-net-worth individuals. At the same time, fund managers use TruFi's financial infrastructure to bring their portfolios on-chain, benefiting from the global liquidity, cost savings, and transparency of DeFi. TruFi is a decentralized financial utility. The protocol is owned and governed by the TruFi DAO, and TruFi is here to bring DeFi into the golden age, bridging the power and access of crypto with institutional-grade lending opportunities and portfolio tooling. Explore the diverse financial opportunities available on TruFi or launch your own portfolio at TruFi.io. Okay, so what do you think the psychology 
of all of this is. I know, I know you wanted to talk about this, and I, I've seen a lot of, um, you know, armchair psychological mm -hmm. profiles. I'm talking about like amphetamines playing a role, talking about the psyche of a sandbag retreat. Mm -hmm. I think, look, I guess the goal here in like pe people are like, well, why do you even care about the psychology of this person? Right. I, for, for me, it's just about, it's also about um, kind of looking for the early warning signs, seeing sort of the patterns. So uh, the crypto industry doesn't get duped again mm -hmm. because this keeps happening. And I feel like it's, it's even now it's, it's still happening people right. in crypto like there are other megalomaniac scammers that the crypto industry is still propping up like mm -hmm. even now and so yeah what are your thoughts on the kind of the psychology of this situation what was sbf thinking what's his profile yeah so i, I remember that uh crypto grifters uh video that i made on that uh that short video and i talked yes. about like the common denominators behind all of the grifters of crypto like what what draws them all together uh, and there are some elements of uh, Sam Bankman Fried's story that is very, very much the same as all of them. Uh, but there's also some some unique ones, right? Uh, so like, uh, let's see, did I put that tweet in there? No, I don't think I did. Um, for, so like, uh, Do Kwon, massively bombastic individual, clearly was like really stroking his ego while uh, like the Luna price was going up through the roof. And he also had this like massive army of lunatics, self-described lunatics, that just like enabled the hell out of him. As in like, he couldn't do anything wrong because any tweet that he would tweet would immediately get like 10,000 likes and a bunch of people just like piling on on whatever like thing that, that Do Kwan would produce, right? Like this is the story of Daniel Sesta. This is like the story of Three Rose Capital. There's like these people in crypto that their ego is too, like it's too like, when it gets big and inflated, they love it and they want more. And we saw the same sort of behavior with SBF, even though like it kind of threw us all for a loop because like, here's this modest guy in like a sweaty t-shirt and new balances and cargo shorts. And he's plastering his image about effective altruism all over the world. And it was like, it was different from Theros Capital. It was different from Do Kwan. It was different from Daniel Sesta, but it was still like SBF the character SBF the ego was large uh, and some people definitely called SBF out but not as you know not it wasn't as obvious as you know Doquan for example right do you know by the way where I first saw this massive contrast between SBF and um and some of the others is like when we had that conversation uh after all of this unfolded with Jesse Powell from mm -hmm. Kraken yeah another exchange founder but incredibly understated yes like he is Honest not like guy trader god um, savior of crypto persona is he's almost like kind of in the background working in, and there's such a contrast there between uh, Jesse Powell and an SBF, but yeah, go on. So, uh, there's a, the article I found that I actually did not see circulate on crypto Twitter while I was making this agenda. Uh, Ryan, did you know that FTX employed a therapist on staff for 32 hours a week just for coaching services to FTX employees? I didn't. I I had heard this. Was it? Could this therapist prescribe medication as well? I believe they could. Or if this is someone else. Um. So if you are a therapist, you can uh, prescribe very limited medication. It's a psychiatrist that can uh, prescribe medication. And this person is uh, not a psychiatrist. This person is not a psychi therapist? psychiatrist. Okay. They they were just a therapist. Okay. Um. Uh. And so there's this quote from the uh, the article that I'll read. Um. And if you think you're screen sharing, Ryan, you're not. 
Uh, <laughs> so I I'm, can't open it. I don't have the New York Times. Uh, oh, so that's right. Okay. It. So, uh, <laughs> Sad. And so in, the, in this article, uh, so the, the therapist uh, was first off very surprised as to the events that took place. Uh, when really? Pe- when people said that like, oh yeah, SPF is like this sociopath who has zero empathy for anyone, that was a surprise to him. And so like, huh. while it would be like super easy to be like, uh, SPF is this like insane character and like we all saw it coming and like he was just like, it was blah, blah, blah. It was actually not, it's much more nuanced. The, the therapist was, uh, w- he had a, uh, when asking about the, the culture at FTX, uh, Dr. Lenner is his name. Uh, let's see, what's the full name? Uh, I can't remember. Dr. Lenner says it was a very tame place. Uh, the higher ups, uh, this was also asking about like uh, the perhaps like orgies that were going on, if you heard those rumors. <laughs> uh, yes. Dr. Lenner said it was a very tame place, FTX was. The higher ups, they mostly played chess and board games. There was no partying. They were undersexed, if anything. That's a direct <laughs> oh, quote. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, those people really felt like it was a family, said the doctor. I think that's why this is so devastating for all of us for this to be over, uh, citing about the kind of the culture at FTX. There was like very much a family thing. Um, but also, if you cross-reference that with a few other things, um, FTX employees lived in a, uh, it lived in a uh, palladial, how do you, what is that word? Uh, palatial. Palatial. Oh, it's just palatial group house. Like, uh, yep. Yeah. A palatial group house. Several, several of them uh, used to be in romantic relationships with one another. Uh, and, of course, this is where SBF uh, had rumored to be dating uh, Caroline Ellison, the, the yeah. CEO. Right? Okay. So group housing, they all, they all dated each other. Uh, and then also, of course, there is just the rampant use of amphetamines, which has come out post-FTX collapse, that the leadership totally encouraged employees to take, like, any sort of, like, amphetamine. They had, like, like intimate knowledge of, well, this amphetamine does this to you if you want to do this, this amphetamine does that to you if you want to do that. Okay, so we have, we have, we have SBF and, and Caroline, and they're, they're living together. There's like group dating going on. Uh, they are spending all of their time together. It's starting to sound kind of like a cult. And so this is when groupthink takes over. And this is when like the same, what I was talking to with like the frog army that was enabling Do Quan. Well, this group of people just enabled themselves. And they were on, like, you saw Sam Bankman-Fried when we had him on with Eric Voorhees. And then there was, like, 17 other interviews where the guy is literally vibrating. Yeah. And so if you're taking too much amphetamines, like, you cannot actually come to terms with what reality is. Uh, and so this is probably part of one of the big reasons why FTX got as crazy as it was is, is drug use, dude. Like, it's insane. Uh, and so, like the there was this uh, picture. I think it was like uh, Autism Capital on Twitter, which I know is an interesting uh, Twitter handle name, that uh, found this one drug uh, called uh, Esram, Esram or something. M Sam. M Sam. M Sam. How do you spell that? M S A M. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a combination of uh, M and Sam is yeah. kind of the name. It's because the the creator of this named it after his children. Wow. Well, fact. the fact the fact that it's Sam is in there is pretty interesting. Um, so the 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 like listed um, what do you call it? the side effects of this thing is like risk taking and gambling behavior, yeah. uh, and like basically everything that you, like like you would put into like a fraudulent company that is like a, big, a gigantic. Well, casino. it probably exacerbated all of this. Mm-hmm. I, I think what's interesting about what you just said though is um, there is kind of this character caricature afterwards of a uh, clear sociopath clear psychopath mm-hmm. um it's interesting if this if you could believe what this therapist is saying um and he's not in himself being right. kind of uh yeah i guess delusional about it um 
his therapist didn't think so. Yeah, therapist. It's very interesting, right? Like, so either he was very good at fooling a a large number of people, um, or maybe the portrait of him being sort of pure sociopath, psychopath is not accurate. Um, I'm not sure. I I know which which would be more interesting for Hollywood to cover is definitely the like drug drug orgy Mm -hmm. kind of line of thought. So maybe that's what we'll see coming out of there. Yeah. Uh, um, you wanted me to share this tweet? Yeah. So here, here's the autism capital tweet that, that identified the MSIM like uh, rapper on uh, Sam's desk. Uh, a drug normally used to treat depression or Parkinson's off label for its alertness and focus benefits. Uh, so I, I can actually tap into uh, some of my psychology background. Uh, so Parkinson's and depression is like a lack of dopamine. Uh, and so uh, dopamine is highly associated with like attention and focus and also reward seeking behavior. Um, Parkinson's just happens to be a lack of dopamine. So if you increase your dopamine, like your Parkinson's symptoms go away. Uh, and so uh, this is why when some of the, uh, the uh, things that uh, are uh, uh, likely to happen, uh, side effects, thank you is the word I'm going for. Side effects is like impulse control because if you have this system that is tinkering with your reward pathways, uh, you are you can't control your impulses, uh, and so it, literally on this side on the side like the warnings of this drug are the the side effects of uncontrolled spending of money, binge eating. Remember how SPF got gained a ton of weight in the last like year, um, and other intense urges, right? Uh, and so all of these things are like adjacent to so many of the conversations that have been going on. And so like this is a story of like a kid without any like oversight. No parents in the room, enabled a bunch of his friends, didn't really think to have any sort of like controls over the funds of FTX, uh, put a bunch of like-minded friends in the same room. They all lived together. They all started using amphetamines to be high performers, uh, and eventually it just got too much. It was just like one gigantic crescendo, and eventually it blew up. Uh, what's interesting about all of this is that's probably the legal defense I would use if I'm Oh, I, I do not think that is a legal defense. I don't know, man. It was the drugs. They made me crazy. It's a side effect. Look at all of this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, which brings us to, I guess, kind of the the final thought for this episode. And the question we started with, is SBF going to jail? Um, why is he not already in jail? So uh, what what do you think about this? All, all the like, fact patterns considered. So we've got somebody who's clearly doing, um, <laughs> it's clearly illegal activity certainly unethical activity, um, ripping off millions of people, billions of dollars, um, you know, gave a huge black eye to the industry. It caused, I don't know how many crypto banks to enter chapter 11, BlockFi just earlier this week, entered chapter 11, going bankrupt from this, destroyed lives. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if there was like personal injury uh, in some destroyed lives as a result of this, like caused a lot of harm and pain to a lot of people. Um, not in jail, maybe uh, getting softball treatment from some in mainstream media as a result of of what? What are the motivations here? Political donations? Uh, you know, something else? Like wanting to prevent clawbacks? That's Blasi's theory anyway. And then we've got like kind of a, a psychological, uh, I guess, profile starting to emerge here. How do you think this ends? Does SBF actually go to jail? I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert in this particular matter on like the odds of whether he ends in jail or not. I think the thought that I do have is I know you and I are both big fans of Ray Dalio's um, book about uh, the changing world orders. And what did, what did Ray Dalio do to write this book? He went back in time to look at uh, when empires rise and fall and why do they rise and fall? 
Uh, and there was a part, uh, I think even in his earlier book, which talked about the fall of the Roman Empire. And, talk, and he said that people were aware of the decline of the Roman Empire before it collapsed. Like people saw the writing on the walls, right? And one of those, one of the big writings on the walls were like, people just started to become blatantly corrupt and they stopped caring about public opinion. They, they, instead of doing things, you know, behind closed doors, they just did it out in the open. Uh, and that was like one, it's a, one of the last symptoms of like a falling empire is like just total corruption, total, total blatant corruption and no one cares. Uh, and that's like the last thing that happens before everything breaks down. And like I, every time I see like Nancy Pelosi making public trades about laws that she's about to enact, that's what I think of. And now when I see SBF sending out hundreds of millions of dollars to political organizations and the political organizations are like, well, we don't want to give it back because we want to stay in power, which is basically just like giving a thumbs up to fraud saying, hey, thanks for the fraud because you gave us a hundred million dollars. I'm thinking the same thing, man. Just the, the end stage. End late, stage late stage empire. Debt cycle, late yeah. stage empire mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got corruption in the system. Yeah. So... I, I think you'd say that if SBF is not held to account, not prosecuted for this. Right. I mean, on the flip side of this, all right, um, uh, Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos founder, just went to jail for 11 years. Did okay. she, did she don any, donate any money to political organizations? I don't know. I, I guess it's probably too early to call at some level. But if this turns out to be a case where we get no prosecution and we have people like Alex Pertseff, who, let me just remind everyone listening right now, is a developer of open source privacy tools in crypto for Ethereum, developed a smart contract called Tornado Cash, is now in jail, has been in jail for three months, uh, is going to be in jail for at least another three months, uh, was brought to jail without charges, actually confiscated his, his material possessions. They went and they repoed his car, David, took his personal property. Okay, what's his crime? open source privacy tools for the world. They repoed his car and SBF has 19 properties in the Bahamas. Let's see where it all falls out. I, you know, I'm a little hesitant right now because we don't know what's going to happen yet. The legal system does take time. Let's put that out there. But if in six months time, a year's time, two years time, if we have someone who has, is so, is so wealthy, is so well connected, has given to the right politicians and let's call it what it is bribed the right people such that this individual faces no consequences for their for their actions this is late stage empire this is blatant corruption and i think we've already seen a number of those cases right is goes back to kind of a epstein didn't kill himself right type stuff like it's another tremor i guess um here's the thing though david the the extra insidious part about this is the industry he did this in is crypto, right? And now, so we get to the end of this and it feels, um, how in the world are we supposed to say, you and I, a technology that we believe in, right? Protocols, not people, code, not kings, right? How are we supposed to now defend crypto and say, oh, actually, crypto is the way out of this. If you're taking a surface level, you're telling me crypto is the way out of this? Right, no, crypto, crypto, what, is crypto the way, enabled this. <laughs> yeah, crypto is the way SBF stole all of that money. And you're telling me crypto is the way out? You're telling me protocols can solve this? And we have to say, no, it, look, it's nuanced. This right. was another banker that was like entering crypto and he had custody of your keys. Like if you don't give up your private keys, 
you know, then uh, you become the bank and you don't have to trust this other individual. And so, yeah, actually crypto is the way out. That falls on deaf, deaf ears right now, which is why I'm so infuriated in this particular case, because, um, man, how many years of, and like, how many years have we been doing this podcast? Bankless. To People, half, yeah. how to take their private keys, go bankless, decentralized finance is the way out. Um, we don't have to trust third parties like Sam Bank of Free, and now here we are in crypto in the same. So I don't even feel like we're in a position to say, oh, and all those problems that you just described, or some of those problems, a subset of those problems with late stage empire, late stage capitalism, all these things, uh, and crypto is the way out. You have the corruption problems you have. Right. Well, you, like we need to create code that is not corruptible. It's uncorruptible. Like decentralization, what is it? It's corruption resistance technology. That's what it is, the bottom line. It's really hard to make the case for crypto at this point. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so what do we do with that? People just like conflate these things. Um, but I, I will take another leaf out of the pocket of uh, uh, the On the Brink podcast where Matt was Matt uh, Walsh was talking about this exact point where uh, people would report, New York Times, mainstream media would report on uh, the collapse of FTX. And they, they would be like, their reaction would be like, oh, it's, it's so confusing. There's like these crypto things and like there's these tokens and like I'm just really confused about it. And Matt responded like, it's not that confusing. He stole $10 billion. <laughs> like yes. it wasn't, it wasn't crypto. It was yeah. what, what caused the collapse of FTX, a lack of regulation, a lack of oversight. And the fact that again, the SEC pushed all of this stuff offshore because the Gary Gensler's of the world are like effing up their jobs. And so like, yes, it's, it's say, Oh, DeFi fixes. This is like such an old thing to say. But at the end of the day, it's just like, that is the truth. I'm a fundamental believer that the truth always comes out because hiding the truth is always harder than, than fabricating the truth. Owning their own private keys would have fixed this. Yeah. You can't steal your money if it doesn't have your crypto, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is a, a harsh way to learn it. But um, that's why maybe he's not in jail. We'll have to see uh, where this goes from here. Anything else you want to say, David? No, I had fun putting this agenda together. Uh, Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah. I mean, is this what I'd love to hear from the chat? Uh, we usually reserve this show slot for guests, but lately we felt that actually it's just better to just talk about the updated news over the last seven days. So I'd love to hear from the chat what kind of content, because like at some point we're not going to want to talk about FTX. At some point we're going to want to go back to regular scheduled programming of bankless stuff. I would love to hear from the chat uh, what you guys want us to talk about. I think we're getting close to that, David. I feel like um, this may take a little bit longer to heal, but I can't wait to go back to talking about like projects that are building in the space again uh, and get back projects to uh, away from this kind of drama. Bankless. Yeah, dude, I can't wait to honestly, Talk about 2023 stuff, yeah. starts. I can't wait in crypto anyway to leave 2022 behind us. And like, let's start rebuilding this thing right. Uh, all right, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. As always, I got to say, none of this has been financial advice, nor legal advice, nor journalist advice. I don't know. And I'm also oh. not a psychologist. Yeah, David's also not a psychologist. No medical <laughs> advice here either. Uh, as you know, we say this at the end of every show, ETH is risky, crypto is risky, so is Bitcoin, so is DeFi, so are centralized exchanges. For sure, you could lose what you put in, but we're headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but thanks for joining us on The Bankless Journey.